0: Welcome back to the DealMakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey, guys, this podcast episode is brought to you by our sponsor, St. Gaster. So are you looking at getting your product into the hands of the right people, the people that are going to absolutely love it? Did you know that podcast advertising is literally 4.4 times more effective than the traditional display type of advertising? So if you're looking at really using podcast advertising, you may want to connect with Sencasters. So they've created this thing. It's called the Sencasters Podcast Marketplace, where you can connect as a brand or a company with the right type of creators. And again, you know, be a you can connect with people like myself, where essentially we are putting ads of the brands and the companies that we absolutely love. So again, if you are interested in doing this, just go to send.ai forward slash dealmakers1 and that is a number one. And again, the team at Sencaster will be able to guide you in the right direction. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So I think that today we're going to be really, really excited here with the founder that we have because she's been through it. She's been through it not once, but multiple times. And I think that we're going to be learning quite a bit on what has been her journey on building, scaling, financing, exiting. I mean, she's done it all. And, uh, and I think that her story is quite inspiring. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today. Liz Yergi, welcome
1: to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So
0: originally from Minnesota. I mean, obviously the roots are from Italy. You know, back yes. you know <laughs> all the way to Italy. But uh, but from Minnesota, how was? Give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up?
1: I had a very idyllic childhood. My grandparents and my father immigrated from Italy to the United States when my dad was young, and uh, my wonderful father met my wonderful mother in Northern Minnesota, of all the crazy places. So I'm. Italian, 50% Norwegian, although I obviously look much more Italian than I do Norwegian. (laughs) Uh, And uh, my last name is much more Italian than Norwegian. But uh, beautifully, my my family had a canoe outfitter for 25 years called LaCroix's Canoe Outfitters. And we had uh, the awesome experience of having a tourism business, a family-owned business, small business that provided canoe expeditions to folks who wanted to visit the Boundary Waters canoe area. My family was such an instrumental part of a a small town, a small community, gave me that introduction into entrepreneurship, really showed me the power of building community and culture around a business, you know, and really appealing to customers. How do you get people to have positive feelings about your business? How do you get them to come back year after year? How do you get them to, you know, talk about your business with their friends and family? Of course, all pre-internet. This is in the 80s, right? So. This was a totally different set of skills. But to this day, I think often about the experience of being a kid in that store, meeting so many of the patrons, meeting so many of the employees, and the ways that it shaped how I thought about building my business now in, in, two, in the 2020s. Uh, but of course, naturally, I decided that I didn't want to follow in my family's footsteps right away. I had to be a little bit of an anarchist initially. So I went to school for broadcast journalism which is how I got into creativity and production. I had a really uh, meandering career after college, working from show to show and program to program. But I feel really lucky that I got to get that taste of creativity because now I've brought together these two things. I've I've been able to bring together the entrepreneurial roots and the creative passions that I so deeply love spending time on.
0: So now when you're thinking about the journalism How do you think that storytelling has helped you as you have approached your entrepreneurial journey?
1: Storytelling is a superpower in business. If you are really positive at at storytelling, if you're really capable of telling great stories, uh, it gives you an edge. It gives you an edge in talking to customers. It gives you an edge in attracting great employees. It gives you an edge in bringing in partnerships. And, of course, if you go down the path of building a venture-backed business, it's hugely essential to building a venture back business. I think that having a background in storytelling actually has made me really capable in areas that I would have never imagined it would it would be important, but to give you one essential example, you know, bringing in really high quality executives to my business. They want to be sold on the business just as much as a customer does, right? And so, having those storytelling skills has really put me in a position to be able to I say punch above my weight class even though I didn't go to business school. Uh, And I use them every single day.
0: And in your case, I mean, after you uh, finish with school, I mean, you kind of like venture into into the world, into the employment world. And uh, I'm wondering, like, especially for our listeners, what was that sequence of events that needed to happen in order for you to really bring your first uh, company mightier to to life?
1: I I needed to fail gloriously at being an employee, (laughs) I think is what I needed (laughs) to do. So many entrepreneurs, I think, try to, you know, go get a job, learn from others, try to, you know, try out different career paths before diving into entrepreneurship. And in my case, you know, I tried a lot of different media jobs, whether it was working at Apartment Therapy Media and providing uh, the work that was being done around photo shoots for our virtual tours of spaces or working at PBS on different programs and All those roles were really wonderful in terms of teaching me collaboration, honing my storytelling skills, flexing my creative muscle. But most importantly, it taught me that, boy, I really don't like working inside of sort of the antiquated structures of quote unquote business today that we know it, you know, everything from thinking about how we would set up deadlines to how many meetings we would have all the time. And the funny thing is, is that if you build a really successful business, eventually you have to put all those structures into place. But I couldn't really see myself climbing a corporate ladder, if you will. And so in 2013, I had spent some time uh, building YouTube channels for some different partners. And I had learned very quickly that YouTube was going to be a really successful place for brands to continue to tell their story and so i took a massive leap and decided to start my first company mightier based on one simple idea we were going to be the best in the world at creating professional quality ads for the internet and that's what we did that's what we did for six and a half years i'm really proud of the work that we did there but it definitely took me being a horrible employee to figure out that i wanted to start a business
0: very cool and and what was the business model there how were you guys making money
1: Yeah, so we were a service-based business and, you know, we would get a contract with a brand, say brands like Wells Fargo or Microsoft, they'd want to produce a 30 second or 60 second spot on a various product or service. And we would ideate, plan, produce, and then deliver their spots to be used on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, anywhere that they were serving up internet ads. Uh, and it was an hourly-based business. So, however many hours our team was working on their products or they're working on their services ads, we would uh, bill them for those hours. And you know, taught me so much about how you use your time, how you use your team's time, how you think about the value of what you're creating for a customer. And that was a really instructive. A business for me, because I had no idea what a p and l was I had no idea what gross margin was i didn't know anything about just the basics of the financials of a business until I had to run this business in fact, I' like to tell people i got i got my first company Might Air, to a million dollars in sales before I finally sat myself down and said, What the hell is a p and l and that's uh you know that's a that was a foolish mistake so I really had to learn all the basics of business, but my first company really helped me figure that out so that I could be more successful now in what I'm doing at Suna.
0: And obviously with or uh, you completely bootstrapped the operation. I mean, you're, you're doing it completely different now with Suna, but, but now you know that you're able to reflect back, I mean, how do you see the whole experience of bootstrapping a company?
1: Bootstrapping is something that does not get nearly enough credit in our media ecosystem around entrepreneurship. We glorify venture-backed businesses, but the truth is, is building a bootstrap business where you can only grow as fast as money is coming in, you can only grow as fast as customers are joining your business, uh, that is hard, hard work. That requires really strong commitment to your customers or really intense commitment to your, your profit margin. And so, I have so much respect for bootstrap businesses. One of the things I loved about running a bootstrap business is I always knew exactly how much money we were making and exactly how much it cost us to make that money because you had to see the money go in and out all the time. You had to manage your books really, really closely. But not only that, I do feel that the risk profile of starting a bootstrap business is much higher than that of starting a venture backed business. Yes, it is harder to raise venture dollars than it is to just go out and find a a customer. But the thing about it is when I was building a bootstrap business, my house was collateral on all of our lines of credit. Uh, My credit score was associated with all those lines of credit. And so I had a lot more on the line as the entrepreneur. I had so much more to lose in a bootstrap business than you really do with a venture-backed business. And so I think bootstrap businesses are the lifeblood of this country. They're the lifeblood of innovation in this country, and we need to celebrate them even more than we do.
0: And and in this case, for MITRE, uh, the acquisition. How did yes. the acquisition come about?
1: I did something that uh, I highly recommend any business owner does if they want to sell their business. I started preparing the business to be taken over by someone else. So initially, I thought, okay, maybe I won't sell it. Maybe I'll just hire an, a new president to sort of take over the business. And so I started you know, writing a, a handbook of how do we run this business? How do we make money? What is our service menu? What's our most popular service item, least popular? So I really tried to build the book of the business, if you will. And I went about the process of trying to hire a president. I interviewed people. I uh, even brought someone in for a test project. I realized very, very quickly that our customers had come to really love working with the team, had come to really love working with myself, and and uh, my director of animation, Haley, who's now my co-founder at Suna. And we realized that it just wasn't going to work with a new president coming in who wasn't part of the business. And when we looked at the current team at the business, there was no one who was really a business-minded individual who could take it over. And so building that book, though, allowed us to hire a broker. So we then went and hired a business broker who helped sell businesses, uh, and that process was extremely informative as well. It took them about nine months to sell the business, but they kind of advertised the business, share its benefits, share some of the things it might be able to offer to the world, uh, might be able to offer to another business if they were to co- combine forces and collaborate in services. And so our broker had gotten us essentially a few offers to consider. Uh, we looked at those offers and ultimately decided to sign a letter of intent with Standard Broadcasting. And eventually, then closed within about uh, about 120 days with with standard broadcasting, and that's a perfect example of how you know it takes a while. But there's also a lot of new interesting formats coming up for selling a small business. Uh, there's a new platform called Micro Acquire, which I really recommend people check out for bootstrap businesses. Where you know if you're less than 100 million dollars in revenue, they help find matches for you. So. We're even getting smarter over time, I think, as an industry about how to help these small businesses find potential acquirers.
0: And so how, how was, in this case, the transition to Sona? Like, like what, what needed to happen there? Because, I mean, as they say, once an entrepreneur is always an entrepreneur. So <laughs> what was that uh, shift or that transition to the new chapter?
1: I did just about the stupidest thing a person could do. I took no time off in between selling the business and then running with Suna. You know, I took a a big portion of the proceeds from the sale and I used those dollars to finance the first MVP of what would eventually be the software platform that runs the Suna backend. I knew I wanted to start a technology company that helped make creativity more accessible to all brands. And so if you think about what I was doing with my first business, I was working with the biggest brands in the world on very expensive creative. With Suna, I wanted to work with all the brands of the world to help them be able to afford the creative. And so that was really the impetus for why I wanted to start this business. And it's so funny because I took no time off. I dove right into helping get the MVP off the ground. We applied to Techstars, which is a a technology accelerator program that helps businesses get ready if they want to go into the VC path. Uh, got into TechStars and then immediately started that 13-week program, and so it was an intense process. It was an intense evolution for me, for sure. Uh, and you know, I think the thing is, is I have no regrets. I truly. Sometimes I talk to entrepreneurs about how emotional it is to sell your business. It is hard. It's definitely a transition. It's definitely something that each individual person has to really wrestle with before they decide to do it. But for me, I've always felt like sometimes you have to evolve what you're doing and really check in with yourself on why is it that I was attracted to this business in the first place? And is there something else I want to do next that maybe will have a different impact that I've learned something from? And so that transition for me was really a joyful transition. It felt like closing one really important chapter in my career and and opening the next.
0: Hey, guys, so pardon the interruption here. I got to tell you that. feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com, and we would love to take a look at helping you out. So let's talk about Suna. How did you then go about building the team around you with Suna?
1: Well, first and foremost, I was really lucky to convince my director of animation at Mighty Air, Haley Anderson, to come join me as my co-founder at Suna. And I really uh, approached her with two simple things. Like we were both deeply, deeply invested in this idea of making creativity accessible. It was something that we both shared. Uh, But one of the best pieces of business advice I can give people is who you do things with is more important than what you do. And what I mean by that is in the case of working with Haley, Haley and I were this unusual combination where any project we worked on together, it felt like magic work was fun. Work was easy. The outcomes were amazing. Everyone felt really excited to be surrounded by those projects. And so I knew that with Suna, I wanted to co-found the business with her and work with her. So we ended up co-founding the business together. And then we knew we needed to find other uh, software programmers to balance out our skill set. So one of the first hires we made was our CTO, Cal Bethune, who joined us from a career at Best Buy. And helped us get the first couple of prototypes of, of camera to cloud, which runs the Suna software off the ground. Uh, and then, you know, we very quickly started looking at how do we hire more technologists, people who are experts at technology. And that's where storytelling comes into play. Getting engineers to quit their lucrative jobs at technology companies to join a creative company was all about storytelling, painting the picture of, of what your business can be and what they can be a part of if they decide to join.
0: So we Suna, how are you guys making money?
1: Well, we make money by selling photos and video clips on our platform. So soon as a virtual photo shoot platform. We make it possible for brands to plan a photo shoot, have their photo shoot, and get their assets entirely online. Brands pay $39 per photo, $93 per video clip, and we deliver them within 24 hours of your photo shoot. So we believe it's the fastest and most affordable way to create professional assets for your e-commerce store or marketing. Uh We have about ten thousand merchants on the platform today, and that's that's how we make our money is merchants coming to the platform, building photo shoots, having photo shoots, and then buying their fabulous assets to promote their products and services
0: now, in this case, you chose a different route. you went after v c money, so mm-hmm. why did you decide to go after raising money this time around?
1: raising venture money was not a decision I came to easily, but there were two things that really made it the obvious choice of over bootstrapping. The first was I got a taste of how expensive it was to build technology. Uh, You know, having spent about a half a million dollars of my own money to get the first version of our software built showed me very, very quickly that, you know, I wasn't gonna be able to afford this into forever. I was going to need additional financial support. And the second was I just had a vision for how big this business could be. There's not a single thing that any of us buy on the internet that doesn't have a photo. And I thought, well, somebody's going to own the visual layer of our internet, but who? And that could be Suna. So I wanted to go after a level of ambition that was considerably larger than what I had in mind for my first business. I always knew with my first business that I was going to be satisfied at a few million dollars a year. Uh, but with Suna, I wanted to build a company that could make a hundred million, two hundred million million a year. And so to do that, you do need venture dollars to go faster, to be able to scale more quickly, to build your technology more quickly. And so all those things really came into the consideration point. And then actually being able to raise venture was also true. I mean, at the end of the day, if you can't raise those venture dollars, you're not going to be a venture-backed company. So going through Techstars and then successfully raising our first 1.5 million coming out of the class uh, really gave me the confidence that we could continue down that path and continue to be successful down that path.
0: Because how much capital have you guys raised today?
1: Today, we've raised 51 million.
0: Got it. Were you able to, um, you know, now there's a lot of initiatives which are fantastic that support female founders, new funds that are specifically allocated for female founders. Do you think that, you know, like you were able to capitalize on on that great momentum to really support women?
1: Not really. (laughs) To be honest, I think the vast majority of the venture dollars that have been invested into Suna come from traditional venture funds. So uh, if you look at, for example, our Series B financing, which we closed at the end of 2021, that was raised from Bain Capital Ventures, which is a legacy fund that has been around for decades. Uh, Our Series A was raised by Union Square Ventures, which is another legacy, uh, really, technology uh, investor. So I haven't necessarily seen a direct benefit because I'm a female founder. What I would say, though, is that there's certainly a lot more conversations happening around female founders raising capital, and that helps get get female founders connected with the venture ecosystem. But one of the disappointing facts is, is that despite a lot of those things that you've pointed out and I've pointed out, uh, female founders are still raising about the same amount of money that we did in the last 10 years. In fact, last year, we raised less Uh, than we did in 2020 and 2019. So we're not necessarily seeing a seismic shift there. I'm hoping it's an area where we will continue to see progress as the markets sort of rebalance themselves, uh, as we're seeing right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, as the father of three girls, you know, I can't wait, you know, to see that shift. But I think that there's been a shift, you know, slowly mentality. There is more uh, female partners at some of those VC firms uh, and great initiatives that are going. so i'm I'm excited, you know for for the future to keep being brighter and brighter for female founders. I so- sure
1: hope so. I, I hope for your daughters, and I hope for everyone's uh, daughters that you know we start to put our money where our mouth is. <laughs>
0: Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent. So I guess uh, in terms of um, you know, for you, for the business now, as as now is more like corporate-ish, you know, structure with bringing the VC money. Because obviously, with the VC money, there is expectation too, building your board. So how does it feel now to run, you know, a really well structured, uh, corporate, uh, you know, type of, of venture?
1: It's certainly been an adjustment for me. You know, I definitely feel that I've had a learning curve on how do you go from, you know, in January of 2020, there were 13 employees at Suna. Today, two years later, there are over 130 employees at Suna. So the organization has certainly gotten a lot larger. Uh, But I've also just learned so much about how do you build a culture. And part of how you build a culture is that you make it really easy for people to join your organization navigate your organization and feel supported in your organization. And so bringing in, you know, an HR department and a finance department and all these places where you really bring in structure and support, it helps you to be able to focus on what is it exactly that you want to achieve. I found that not having to spend as much time worrying about HR issues, for example, allows me to actually think about how do I want people to feel when they work at Suno. What are the things that we want to be hallmarks of our value system? Uh, and also, I have a lot more opportunity to really grow in my own leadership style and think about what messages I want to share with the team. And so it frees you up in a lot of ways to to think about your leadership, think about your culture. Uh, it also can make your organization feel a lot more slow and a lot more dragged down by process. You've got to figure out how to balance those things. And I think I'm always trying to figure out how to balance those things, even now.
0: And I find that the culture starts with you. Right, you, the, the 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 founder. So, in this case, I mean, how did you think about culture? How did you want people to to feel when they were in Suna? And how have you gone about really uh, bringing that so that it takes a life of its own and then it's embraced by everyone else that is joining the organization moving forward?
1: Certainly, I agree with you. Culture starts with the folks who start the company. And uh, one of the things that Haley and I really wanted to instill in the business from day one was just this idea that everyone is allowed to be creative. So many jobs now, we are really locked in boxes of what our job descriptions are, or maybe aren't invited to think outside those boxes. And so We have our first cultural value here at Suna is everyone is creative. If you work in HR, you are creative. If you work in finance, you're creative. If you work in engineering, you're creative. And so really inviting people to express themselves, express their ideas, and think differently from how they've thought in other roles. And I think that's exceptionally important. But the second big piece of our culture that I think is uh, near and dear to me and near and dear to the people who are at Suna Is that we really pride ourselves on being an equitable and transparent organization? What that means is doing things like always publishing pay ranges for what a job is, so that there aren't gaps in pay between a man and a woman holding the same job. Uh, You know, really working hard to ensure that our company looks like the world, that we're representative of our communities, and spending time recruiting people to join our organization that have the backgrounds that maybe aren't my backgrounds. You know, we don't want a company that is exclusively, you know, white women and white men. And so working very hard to invite and and grow people to this organization who are from uh black and brown backgrounds or immigrant backgrounds. And so really working hard on those things and being transparent about how hard we work to make that a reality. And then finally, you know, we try to make sure that everyone understands that failure is welcome at SUNA. Uh, you have to be working towards big, ambitious goals all the time if you want to be a successful startup. And if you're playing it safe so you'll always succeed, you'll never actually achieve those big, ambitious goals. So we really try to instill the idea that we fail all the time, I fail all the time, but failing is learning and failing is part of the process of succeeding and not punishing people for making mistakes, but really coaching them through the process of learning from those mistakes.
0: And if Let me ask you this. If you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of Suna is fully realized, what does that world look like?
1: It means that every single time that you and I log onto the Internet, you're having a beautiful experience that is visually designed for you and visually designed for your maximal enjoyment. And so, you know, we at Suna want to make the Internet a more beautiful place. And part of making the internet a more beautiful place is making it more personalized, uh, more customized, and making creativity as accessible as humanly possible.
0: And where do you think the market is is going as a whole?
1: Oh, the market is definitely a volatile place right now. <laughs> I think the market is showing us that outlandish priority on valuation on ideas is no longer going to be okay. And that what's real and what's tangible is where the value is in a business. And so I really think for startups, especially being focused on your customers, being focused on retention, being focused on customer value right now is so much more important than being focused on what investors value your company to be.
0: So imagine, I mean, it's it's been a tremendous run for you, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, now the second company. And the one thing that comes to mind is Imagine if I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time, I bring you back in time to that moment where you were thinking about starting a business and you are able to have a sit down with your younger self, with that younger Liz, and you're able to give that younger Liz one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now?
1: Well, first, I would say, g- good. Guess what? It's all going to be fabulous. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be fabulous. You know, I feel very lucky that my career has transformed in the way that it has, and I've been able to have the experiences and the relationships and the outcomes that I've had. Uh, it's it's the promise of you know what my family came to this country for. But then the second thing that I would say is, you know, pick the people in your circle wisely. I've been so fortunate to work with people, uh, whether it's my co-founder, Haley, uh, or my COO at my company now, Dave Mellencamp, who have just absolutely changed my life in terms of empowering me to be the best leader I can be, helping me see the potential in what we're doing, and just constantly inspiring me and motivating me. And So pick those people in your circle very wisely because they will be the most important thing in terms of the outcomes you achieve.
0: And when it comes to picking people, Liz, because there's probably a lot of founders that uh, right now are listening to us that are either thinking about picking a co-founder, picking a team member or an investor. Mm-hmm. How or what have you learned that uh, maybe has helped you you know, down the line on making sure that you're picking the right individual?
1: There's two things I think really illuminate whether or not you're gonna have a great relationship with someone. Two things you can do, two tests you can run. Uh, the first is you can have dinner with someone. See how that dinner conversation goes. See how naturally you're able to talk about both your ambitions, but also your fears, and really ask each other those hard questions and see if that person will go there with you, be vulnerable with you. Uh, watch how they treat wait staff. You know, that's an important one for me. If they treat everyone with respect, uh, then I really believe that we're going to have a lot of the same values, and so I always uh, try to have dinner with someone before they come join my executive team or before they join my cap table as an investor. The second thing I try to always do is I try to create a scenario where we're able to do a project together or do a test idea together. So a really good example of this in, you know, uh, Haley and I's case was we had worked on many many ads together, me as the writer and the director, and her as the lead animator and art director. And so we would navigate these projects together. We would see how we navigated conflict, how we navigated agreement, how we came to conclusions or collaboration together, uh, and how we compromised together. And having that test project actually allowed us to see the best and the worst in each other and really see how we responded to that and had grace and space for that. You know, one of the things I think about oftentimes is We've all had working relationships where us plus another person created the outcomes of seven people. We are more productive, more creative, more excited, more motivated. And we've had working relationships where us plus another person created no outcome, where it was a disaster and it was absolutely nothing good that came out of it. Check for that. You want that first scenario. You want the scenario where. One plus one equals the output of seven people. And if you've got that with someone, oh man, run with that as far as you can.
0: I love it. So Liz, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi?
1: Oh, well, you can always connect with me on Twitter. I'm a Twitter freak. So at Liz Georgie, L-I-Z-G-I-O-R-G-I. Or you can follow Suna on Instagram at Suna Studios. We are telling stories all day, every day. I think you'll find it to be a lot of fun.
0: Amazing. Well, Liz, thank you so, so much for being on the DealMaker Show
1: today. I enjoyed it so much. Thank you so much.
0: If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business,